0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Mike Kottmeier is here. Mike, thanks for taking time out of your evening.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's your podcast. It's your My company. podcast. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, well, it's your podcast. It's like Sound Notes of Dave Pryor. Like, I'm not your yeah. only guest ever. You know? That's true. So,
0: that's true. Yeah. Um, but you are a very special guest. And I have a question that I want to ask you that is something okay. that's been coming up in pretty much every class forever. Yeah. And I'm looking for advice on So. Okay. I had a class two weeks ago and a bunch of people from one company and they were all excited about what we were doing and and they stayed for both CSM and CSPO, like 20 people. And they were all like, you have to come back. We have to do this. We have to go back and sell it to management. But I know that in terms of the hierarchy of the organization, they are not the level where they get to like bring it in and sign the contract. And I have this question come up all the time, whether it's somebody on a team or a scrum master or these people who are like a level above that. Um, how does somebody who's not at the top level of the food chain or a contract signing level, how do they create a conversation where they can get the people above them to be open to turning their whole company upside down and trying to do this stuff? I mean, yeah. you you are yeah. expert at this conversation, and when you go right. in, you're yeah. their peer. But these people yeah. are not peers. Right. Well, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm like their – peer to a point right at the end of the day i'm uh, the ceo of a consulting company right so i've created a bit of thought leadership in the industry and you know people listen to me by virtue of influence but at the end of the day they have the budgets and they get to decide yeah so peers it appears a little bit strong right okay. okay so so i'm gonna i was thinking about how to like go through this and so the first thing the first thing, so I'm going I'm to try to do this in a way that um, I offer you something, and then let's have a discussion, and then maybe I'll offer the next thing that I okay. want to discussion is. So the first thing that I would say, top level, is you have to care about what the executives care about. Okay. You have to care what the next level up is, right? And so um, I don't know this to be universally true, but I know it's true enough in a lot of the conversations I have, is that the goals of the people on the ground are... Um, are sometimes culture environment sustainable pace um, you know greater collaboration greater connection at work i think about like the autonomy mastery purpose stuff mm-hmm. right that kind of a thing they don't want to feel under pressure right all those kinds of things so so like the first thing that i might ask is 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 that the same thing that's going to drive um, an executive to introduce disruptive change. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe, like maybe. Uh, and I mean, it's not out of the ordinary, like that somebody, uh, some company is looking to increase retention or, or cre- increase their internal net promoter score or something like that. Right. But at the end of the day, um, it, it's not usually those things that an executive is going to care about. So, so the first thing I would ask is, based on your interactions with these folks, what typically do you think that their executives might care about? Well, I don't know if I they know that. that. So that's well, that's an interesting thing. So, so hey, Dave, I want um, to, uh, I want you to spend a bunch of money with me. Yeah. But I have no idea what problems you're trying to solve or what's important to you. Just give me money, and I'll, and I'll create a really cool ecosystem for my team.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the magical happen. Right. Well, maybe. So it's like, well, so, that, so that's like the first thing. Right. So yeah. if there if there isn't an economic exchange of value now, I'm biased because, you know, we're a consultancy. Yeah. And, you know, so if we don't create an economic exchange of value, then nobody hires us. Mm-hmm. And so so everything that we do has to be connected to something that executive want solved. Yeah. Uh, something that they're, that they're measured on something that they care about. Okay. And so, so for us, like, like what we anchor to are the six things that are on the front page of our website, predictability, quality, early return on investment, cost savings, innovation and product fit. Okay. Almost in some level or fashion that, that, um, that becomes a thing. And I mean, just kind of curious from your point of view, anything else that you hear people talk about? that they want out of a transformation well
0: it's I think it's different because the people I'm talking to for them it is we want the teams to function better we want to understand our product but I I thought of another twist to add to this is that sometimes I get a bunch of people who've been sent there by their company management said we're gonna go agile and the people are like oh my gosh this would be awesome but our management doesn't work this way we can't do it without them and that goes back to that governance thing but if you don't I, I get that they have to understand what management wants. But if management doesn't know why it wants Agile? Well, what
1: I would suspect if you talk to – because like, that's the question I ask people all the time. Like I mean I can't tell you how many conversations I start with. Hey, really expensive meeting, lots of really high-level people in this room. Like why are you why? guys all here? Right. Like why Agile? Why are you talking to me? And and that's what you got to get past first. Like what are we trying to accomplish? Okay. You know, and, and it's so, so I would suggest that if, like, even, even for me, right, as their peer, as a consultancy, as a, as a, you know, quote, bot leader in the industry, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, if I don't know what somebody values, like, I don't know what to attach
0: to it. Okay. So, this right? is so, this like, is,
1: let's, so go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No,
0: you finish your thought and then I'll,
1: well, part. I was just going to say, like, so, so a lot of times, um, agile is a hypothesis, right? It's a proxy conversation. It's mm-hmm. like they perceive they have a problem with delivery, or they they they, they think they have a problem with getting things in the market on time, and and they probably yeah. do, right? Yeah. Problem with quality, and and so they have this notional idea that agile is going to be the answer to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they say, okay, I want to get agile. So they send everybody to agile training, and, and they go, and then and then everybody's come back and doing scrum, but they yeah. don't get the business benefits from it. So then yeah. they're like, okay, the so hell? failed hypothesis, kind of yeah,
0: yeah. So, almost like from a playbook standpoint, if I'm one of those people, I have to go back and get with management and and get them to answer the question of, this is why you sent us all the training, why you want to pursue Agile. And then that would lead them to understand what problem the management people are trying to solve. And then they could begin to craft the conversation of… This is what's got to change, or these are the things we have to do to be able to solve that problem.
1: Well, yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit, right? So if you say something like, "Okay, if they said we want to be able to make any commitments, we want we want to operate with greater predictability," mm-hmm. um, then you say, "Well, okay, what are the what are the attributes of the organization today that are um, leading to a lack of predictability?" Mm-hmm. And then you ask yourself, "What would we change, and how would we change it?" that would uh, create greater predictability, Okay. right? So that's like my favorite example, because I mean, it's like, it's like the, I don't want to say the most unknown, but it's like the most undervalued goal of going agile. Like, I mean, everybody thinks it's inspect and adapt and building the right products and market, and, right. and that is a thing, right, of course. Um, maybe, maybe we've kind of announced ourselves as a hammer. So all the nails show up kind of a thing. That's, that's another risk in my point of view as well. Yeah. But, but the vast majority of companies that call us are looking to just to figure, they're trying to figure out an alternative way of making meeting commitments. Okay. So tying back to the business value thing, a lot of times, um, the practitioners on the ground are like, oh, we're dealing with all this risk and uncertainty and, um, and so we want to use Agile to create more of an emergent uh, software development kind of a thing, right? So we want mm-hmm. to be able to inspect and adapt and find our way to the right product that customers buy. Right. That's, that's cool. You can definitely deploy Agile that way. Okay. But if your executives are looking for predictability, like they're probably not likely to change their underlying thinking, their underlying business model or approach to market okay. to be totally emergent yeah. that way, right? right? So even within valid goals of Agile there can be mismatch in terms of like what aspect of agile are we trying to exploit?
0: So it's almost like product market fit, but within the organization.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, so you got to align with what the executive cares about. And then once you have a clear line of sight to um, what the executive cares about, then you have to ask yourself like, well, what is it in the organization that is causing us not to be predictable? What are, um, what are the, um, essential attributes of an agile implementation or an agile transformation that would actually lead to greater predictability, right? What, what's the underlying theory that it's, that it's based around. Okay. So if you say, okay, cool, we're all set up to do, um, we all agree that we want to be agile. We want to be more predictable. So then we just say, okay, go to CSM training. Right. Well, well, okay, cool. Right. That scrum, again, right, can be deployed in lots of different ways. It can be, it can be deployed to make and meet commitments. Yeah. It can be deployed to inspect and adapt your way to product market fit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? can be, it can be done either way. Right? So you say, okay, so the goal is predictability. So let's say today, just to use kind of a, you know, a straw man kind of argument a little bit, but let's say we want to, um, we want to, uh, we're in a waterfall environment. Mm-hmm. Well, how a waterfall environment tries to get to greater predictability is it says, okay, well, let's get really, really clear on requirements. So let's make sure we get requirements really highly specified and signed off on. Yeah. And want to make sure that we have all of the work estimated. want to make sure that we have the right people applied to the right work at the right times. And then we're going to sign a project manager and we're going to manage the heck out of it, hold everybody accountable, report out on percent completes, and um, we're going to deliver on time, on scope, on budget. Okay. Right. So that's how Waterfall would answer that. And then what you say is you say something to the effect of like, well, okay, well, so what is, what is valid and invalid in that set of assumptions? Are the requirements knowable? I don't know, right? Are they knowable? Are they not knowable? Are we going to get sign off and then ultimately build the wrong thing? Do we think we know them, but, but do we really? Like what kind of validation do we want? On do
0: that? they even have the awareness to answer that question? Because it seems like if you're in waterfall, you believe that the requirements are knowable. Well, well, sure, right? But you ask yourself, okay. So where
1: where I would go with that is is if you have a question like, well, we just assume that the requirements are knowable. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, fine, but like, but what's the risk if we're wrong? Um, How knowable are they? Um, Do we believe that we can, um, you know, that we should know them? There's like just different ways to kind of attack it. But let's say you even said, okay, okay, absolutely. Let's say requirements are knowable and you know them, okay, and yep. you want to deliver the exact requirements that were, that were there. Okay, okay, cool, right? I would suggest that, that the, the way that we functionally silo people, the way that we assign uh, work or people to multiple work streams, the way that we do estimates, the way that we apply human beings to those estimates, like even with perfect knowledge of the requirements, there's the estimates are often somewhat unknowable. Mm-hmm. And the work performance of any given individual is often unknowable. We don't know who's going to be sick, who's going to go through a divorce, who's going to have right. a, a child that's dealing with something, um, something in their personal life, whatever, right? right? So we don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen with those human beings. And so we have so let's, so we take the requirements, that we say the requirements are totally noble. Mm-hmm. We say that the, so then we go, okay, are the estimates knowable? Well, maybe they should be, or maybe they should be in ranges. Um, the people are there. Maybe they should be fungible, but maybe they're not. Maybe they should never get sick, but maybe they do, right? So almost inevitably, we have this combination of imperfect people mm-hmm. assigned to multiple things with varying degrees of certainty about the requirements. Mm-hmm. And so the work is almost never um, done complete as it as it needs to be? It's not as never certain as it needs to be. Sure. sure, and so and so we say. So then we say, okay. Well, if let's say requirements are knowable, estimates are knowable. Mm-hmm. Then we have to assume that the human beings and their performance characteristics are knowable. Well,
0: there's so much risk here. I mean, you're just, like well, well yeah, right. It. You're
1: just, you're just mounting up a whole bunch of risk. Right. Yeah. And usually what happens is if somebody wants to double, triple down on that hypothesis, right. what they end up doing is they end up buffering that risk in terms of time. Okay. Right. They add, they add more hours. They add more people, they, they, all kinds of things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so that drives cost. That drives time. And so, so yeah, it's, it's perfectly plausible to say we're going to use Waterfall to run a perfectly orchestrated um, fixed time, fixed cost, fixed scope. Mm-hmm. But the expectations of delivery are going to be so long. Now we're starting to compete on the other side with, like, are those requirements, even if they're perfectly knowable at the beginning, are they going to be valid three years from now when we finally get this thing done? Okay. I don't know, right? So you just start attacking assumptions. Right? Okay. And then and then you offer, okay, well, so you want to do agile. Well, what would you do differently? Well, we would dismantle some assumptions around cost accounting versus throughput accounting. We would challenge the notion of individual productivity. We would challenge the notion of the knowability of the requirements. Okay. We would challenge um, the knowability of the estimates. We would challenge the fungibility of the human beings. Okay. But I, you just – what was what
0: that? I have a question about this one. Yeah, sure. So for you to have that conversation totally makes sense or, yeah, or even sure. to ask the question of like what would you be willing to sacrifice to get what you want? Right. But if I am somebody who is in charge of a couple of teams talking to yeah. the CEO of the company and I come at that line of questioning – it almost seems insubordinate in some ways. I mean, like you'd have to have a lot of confidence and agency to be able to raise that line of questioning.
1: Yeah. Well. So. Well. Well. So now you get into, it's. It's funny, right, Dave? Whenever we answer these questions, right, we're always have this. We have this funny dichotomy between, you know, do, is there an answer to an unanswerable question?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if
1: you're saying how do I influence my leaders, but if any conversation I have to influence them is going to be insubordinate.
0: Well no, just the way that you nuanced the question. Like like it's not it's not in my pay grade to say like to ask some of the things that you were asking. Um what well, would like, you do what, differently? Like, like how would you fund projects differently if you really wanted predictability? Like go back to your PMO. <laughs> well well so sure, right? So well so I mean
1: you're out on okay. a thin ledge there when you're asking that question. Well well so sure, right? So well, so maybe maybe what we're getting to is is why I started a consulting company, and I don't work for companies anymore, right? Um, yeah, at least yeah. directly, because because at the end of the day, right? If you tell me if you tell me I am working for um, a company that I can't even have a conversation about what's working, what's not, how we might approve it, what assumptions we're, we're basing our our final elements right of delivery on. No, I mean, so I guess the other side, and this is probably where what people do quite often, is that they say, Okay, fine. Well, within my purview, I'm not gonna ask permission. I'm just gonna do it. Okay. Right. Well, then okay, so if I was a a dev manager and I had a couple of teams underneath me and I had discretion over how those teams operated, sure. Well then what I would do is I would understand the goals of the organization and I would say, okay, the goal is greater predictability. And I would leverage agile tools and techniques to drive greater predictability within my teams. And then go ta-da. And then again. go, yeah, here it is. Um, we're out. So I had experience. I, I wasn't. We weren't doing this. Um, we weren't doing this under under the cloak of dark or anything. But I was working in an organization where I had the support of my director and my VP. But we were we were accountable to an external PMO for basic audit controls and documentation and you know, earned value and project plans and things like that. Yeah. And so we used Agile within this VP's organization. We set up uh, stable cross-functional teams. We put in, this was way before SAFE, we put in a multi-tier governance model. Okay. We started measuring. We were using concepts out of theory of constraints. And what we would do is we just operate off of a backlog that was basically driven by a project plan, but we had the ability to create the project plan however we wanted. So, so, I mean, you could basically take epics and features and user stories and put them as work packages on a project plan. Mm -hmm. And you could, you could literally schedule a backlog and use your understanding of throughput, use your understanding of velocity, um, you know, understand your roadmap to be able to use agile in order to be able to deliver against a waterfall plan i mean there's nothing saying and so that's I, I would huge say what would, you just said I, is a big I, deal oh okay cool let's
0: unpack it i, what, I think what did you because like about you're it? saying i mean for the people that are listening
1: yeah which is hopefully say, everybody who's
0: listening for both of Sorry. them um yeah. they, <laughs> they want to be agile but sometimes yeah. the easiest way to get The results, you're looking for the outcome, right? It's not about doing Agile. It's not about doing Scrum or Kanban or whatever. It's about finding a way within your organization to use tools to function well with your teams and and work the way you want to work. So in this governance model with the PMO, you found a way to kind of sneak it in under the radar. And, yeah, you can put it into a Gantt chart or do whatever you have to do to let people give you the space you need. Well, they knew what we were doing. And when I'd sit down and explain
1: it to them – and again, this is where as Agileists we get we get out of whack with everybody. If what we're really saying is, I want Agile because I don't want any rules or constraints or anybody to tell me what to do, and I just expect to be trusted as a team, right? And you know, get out of my sandbox, let me do what I want. Like, and 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 it's as immature to me as that sounds saying it out loud. That is that is absolutely people say that. the point of view of a lot of people, right? Yeah. And so and so if that's what you mean by agile is trust the teams and let the teams decide regardless of outcome. Right. Well, that's a really tough place to start. Right? But, do you, do you, but if but if you said to the organization, I am going to out PMO your PMO, I'm yeah. going to run a more structured and disciplined program with Agile than without, and I'm going to show you how we can use these tools and techniques to not only hit dates, make appropriate trade-offs, communicate in the change management boards to be able to, um, yeah, just to show greater throughput and greater predictability than anybody else has using traditional project management. Mm -hmm. Like, like why would somebody tell you no? Okay. So now that there's actually probably an answer, probably the most, the most, um, challenging argument would be, and this is why I, 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 uh, Kind of as a precondition, said you know, if I was talking to a director of development that actually had the agency to make these decisions, yeah. Um, in a functionally siloed organization, um, be able being able to create persistent cross functional teams um, often goes against the fundamental DNA of that organization because they're very cost accounting, productivity oriented, yeah. time slicing people across multiple projects. And so, if you don't have the agency to to get a complete cross functional team. Um, you know, I, I, I could give you some ideas for that, but it's like it's starting to get further away from what I would like to
0: be able to recommend. Well, OK, so do you, th- do you think that there are a lot of people out there who – I mean they find Agile and it's like they're like, oh my god. They're like Jake in the back of the church and the Blues Brothers. And because they see it now, it's impossible for them to understand that other people don't see it. Like when, when you say go find what problem they're trying to fix, they can't even see that because all they see is the majesty of Agile. And everything's going to be like, we do what we want. We add value. We come to work when we want. It's just wonderful. We don't measure stuff. And they don't understand that they're operating in a system that has a reality, like a hard reality they have to meet.
1: Are you talking about people at the practitioner level? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well so here's the thing, man. So, so again, I, I, can't, I can't give answers to impossible questions, right? So now if we have managers that won't listen...
0: Well, they can't and it's not that they uh, won't. They just and don't employees even know that they are not
1: thing. are not like realistic about like what the business world is. Yeah. You know, so so here's the thing, right? So like I want to trust and empower my employees at Leading Agile as well. We have an internal dev team, we have HR teams, you know. Yeah. So the way I look at every capability within an organization is it's like it's like a service, mm-hmm. right? And so an agile team is like a service that gets exposed to the rest of the organization. It's, so think of it like a black box, right? It has developers and testers and wh- whoever's needed on that team to be able to deliver a working test and increment a product. The team has inputs. The team has outputs. The team accepts requirements in a certain way. It provides working tested software on regular intervals. Um, you know, maybe in this particular case, we estimate the size of the backlog and we want to deliver with a stable velocity, mm-hmm. right? That's like the contract under which self-organization happens. Right? Nobody I, – I just don't read anything in the literature from Sutherland or um, Schwaber or Cohn or anybody that basically just says teams get to show up and do whatever they want, however they want, deliver something right. or nothing because it will just be the best but thing the team gets to decide. Even
0: what you just said, that it's a service that gets exposed to an organization like that, I've never thought of that before. I bet you most people out there are like, no, we need to do Agile. Why? Because it's awesome, man. Well, like it's, it's like, just awesome. Then everything's cool and, and we'll all be happy.
1: Well, well so, so then if that's what people are saying to you, man, then, then you need to take it as your personal mandate then to grow the hell up, man. Because it's like it's like <laughs> the way a business works is that investors or owners or customers by proxy give money to the company and therefore to its employees yeah, because they expect a, an exchange of value. Okay. And and absolutely, do we want a great culture? Yes, we want a great culture. Yes, we want to build really high valuable products. We want all these things. And we want a great work environment. But but a precondition to having a great work environment is to have a company that functions and produces products that customers want to buy. Yeah. yeah. And so what I suspect you're dealing with, because I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not saying we don't get a little bit of that on our clients and things like that. We're dealing with a client now. That has an existing team of agile coaches and, and, and some of the questions that you're asking or some of the points of view you're putting forth are, are absolutely there, mm-hmm. right? But most people understand that there's a business problem to solve. And if, and if we can't attach ourselves to that business problem and make the company economically viable. Yeah. Um, in our early days, um, we had a chief operating officer in the company uh, she still works with us, um, at a, at a coach level right now. Um, just cause we realized we were too small at the time and, and I didn't really need a chief operating officer. It was kind of me. Um, but the, but the reality of that situation, she said something to me one time that I'll never forget. It was like, if you keep acting this way, Mike, you're going to kill the culture of our company. And I said, well, if we can't figure out how to, like, make money and satisfy our customers, we're not going to have a company with a culture at all. There's yeah. just not going to be no company, right? And so on some levels, like, we have to respect the idea that we are there to deliver a product to market that our customers want to buy. Yeah. Period. Right? And, and, if, and, if, and if the conversation's not starting from that perspective, there's almost, like, no basis for a conversation,
0: so they have because to, if
1: you're asking me because if if the real question is is how do I get my leadership to leave me alone and let me do whatever I want and draw a paycheck <laughs> I think
0: that is the question like, for a lot of people. It's not going to
1: happen, right? So go work someplace else. Go work for yourself. Like that's yeah. just not going to happen. But I think it's reasonable and 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 encouraged at all levels. Right. And and so, so you said this was a new idea to you. So let's double down on it a little bit. It's
0: a like, great idea. Like
1: what I think what I think we are fundamentally doing in the transformation space is we are taking legacy monoliths, organizations mm-hmm. that are legacy monoliths, and we're turning them into services oriented organizations.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. So so a waterfall uh, organization running a gigantic multi-year portfolio. With work being decomposed and spread across functional silos, has mm-hmm. all the same problems that a 50-year-old COBOL mainframe has that's been poorly architecturally maintained. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just all kinds of interactions all over the place to where you know you you basically make one change and it breaks 10 other things. Mm-hmm. Why are projects always late? Because somebody's inevitably gonna be late. And if everything is if everybody's connected to everything, then one domino being late cause a cascading set of things that are late. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we want to do is we want to encapsulate that. Right. So the whole idea behind agile is that we get a dedicated team solving a dedicated class of business problems with a dedicated interface to the business called a product owner, a dedicated service level manager called a scrum master, a group of people that can solve that problem. The inputs to the team are user stories, the outputs of the team are working tests and software. The service level is stable velocity against the known backlog. And, and you think about that, right? Yeah. And everything that's implied from that, um, the self-organization happens within that service boundary. But also understanding that the inputs are defined, the outputs are defined, the service levels are defined. Right. Within that service agreement, you have... A team that can self-organize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't get to, set, to set, decide which markets we're in. They don't get to decide what features they build. Now, I'm not saying that in some cases that they don't have that direct um, linkage to the client. I'm not right. saying that in some cases that they don't have a voice in that. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be absolute, but that's a negotiation, right? Even it's- like Scrum by the book would tell you that you have a product owner that gets to decide what's in the backlog. Mm-hmm. The single ringable neck about what's in that backlog. The product owner brings. Does the scrum master get to have a say or ask a question? Like, sure, they get to collaborate yeah. and challenge and whatever. Does the team get to, like a hundred percent? Would it be cool for the team to have some exposure to the customer and their real feedback? Hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah. the but the product owner is the the ultimate buck stops here person, right?
0: Yeah. So I want right? to yeah I want to check with you on something because it's like yeah, stuck in my head right now. Okay. <clears throat> so when you're talking about all this, there's part of me that's thinking. And this is different from what you're saying, but a lot of IT organizations I've encountered in the past seem to have lost the thread and think that the business exists for the benefit of them. Like they the run the ship. The business
1: exists for the benefit of the IT
0: of of, Yeah. So they, they kind of forget that IT is more of a service or I always say it's like a janitorial function. Like it has to be there so that everything happens, but it's not why the company's there. So people would have to know their place within the organization. And beyond that, it sounds like everything you're talking about is almost like systems thinking. Like you have to see the business, understand what the business problems are, understand how the thing you want is going to solve the problems people are having. And then how do you craft the conversation to get somebody else to see that?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So it is it is absolutely a systems problem, like across the board. Um I'm actually thinking about the comment that you made about, um, it thinks it's the business's job to support them and not their job to support the business. Well, there's probably a couple of different shades of gray here a little bit, right? So like if you're building a product company, if it's Mm -hmm. a product company and there's absolutely a product that you're creating, Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like the, like, like how would you separate the manufacturer of a car from the business of selling a car? Well, like, I don't think you can, but I think the people yeah. that build the systems that
0: run the car think that they run the show.
1: Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, I was going to make the distinction between that and like a traditional IT organization I, so I could see some, some differences in perspective Well, the people there. that own your email think
0: they run the show well, too. So this is
1: a conversation because one of the things you've heard me talk about in Leading Agile is, is we grow and evolve. You know, I've tried to use um, the Scrum metaphor as like an right. account um, management metaphor. And so there's somebody on the account that that gets to decide kind of what's in the backlog. They kind of serve mm-hmm. as a product owner. Right. And then there's somebody on the account who kind of serves as a scrum master who makes sure that we're dotting I's and crossing T's and burning down work and it's gonna be delivered profitably and we're making meeting commitments, all that kind of stuff. And then you have the team people that are doing the work. Mm-hmm. And it's so um, it's so it's like it's like both sides have to function to be a functioning team. Mm-hmm. And so, if you say, like, yeah, I'm almost even having a hard time computing the question because if you say that, well, the the business's job is to support us as IT, it's like the business, the product owner is a proxy for the business, mm-hmm. right? So within the Scrum team, like the product owner is the business, right. right? And 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 the product owner and the Scrum master and the team form an integral relationship where. Everybody on that team should be responsible, and and have—I won't say accountability, but um, but have like drive to collaborate to produce the best outcome for market, so we can all survive as a company and and add great do great products in market. Right. 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 So this, there's like this false dichotomy. Like, I get that it's an th- artifact of a dysfunctional organization yeah. when it's an us and them versus IT versus, well, like us business. versus the client.
0: It's the same thing as us versus the
1: well, client. Well, for sure. Right. But it's like, but it has to be collaborative. Mm-hmm. And like, so what people, like, this is the interest. It's like people have to recognize, I guess they don't have to do anything. Right. But if you want to be a functioning, <laughs> you, team, want to you work, have to recognize to that everybody's got a unique role to play in this. Yeah. And that we have to bring all of our unique skills and experiences together. Um, like there are conditions sometimes where, like, you go into an early stage transformation, and the I would say IT, but like the product development group has been fairly dysfunctional, mm-hmm. and the business is like, I'm throwing stuff over the wall. They can't deliver anything. The the teams feel overwhelmed, not set up for success, and everybody's blaming everybody on every side. Yeah. Right, so if you're in an environment like that, and you're like, well, okay, well, how do I bridge the divide between the business and IT? Mm-hmm. Right, where the business IT guys are saying, you know, it's up to the business to give us, um, you know, a rational workload and a rational set of requirements that don't right. change all the time or whatever. And then the business is like, well, I just need these teams to be able to produce something do that I, I can want. sell. Yeah. Right. So, so sometimes what I'll do is. If, if you're coming in and you don't really have the partnership of the business, mm-hmm. you know, one of the ways to overcome that is to organize it in a way that is really structured, to deliver business value. And I say it, I'm using that generically as like the technology of people could be product development. It could be a pure play it shop. Okay. Um, could be packaged software, like whatever. Um, so, so when you're in that it support function or product dev function, Like, like I will at times recommend that the dev shop get their house in order first and say, let's form teams. Let's get really clear on backlogs as we understand them. Let's get to the point where we can produce a working tested increment every sprint. Let's start measuring velocity. Let's start delivering against roadmaps. And then we start communicating with our business partners in a way that um, that that telegraphs what we're going to do. We demonstrate competence at actually doing it. And then as trust builds, we expose levers to the business and we say, okay, um, you know, historically you've been communicating to us in big batches and a lot of upfront planning. Cool. Got it. Um, I just want to let you know, we have the capability to put a product in market every three months now, or maybe it's every six weeks or it's every two weeks. Okay. Um, If you had the feedback from early releases, might you want to exploit that feedback to make sure that we're building the right thing. Yeah. yeah, Right. Might you want to exploit our new capability to go to market with 30% of the features before you have a hundred percent of the none. Mm -hmm. Might you want to have the option if we run out of time and money to have fine grained control over what things we're going to leave out rather than just running over budget and just missing dates. Okay. Right. So, so I think it is possible to get, um, product developments house in order and then to teach your business partners how to exploit the new I agile use capacities that of the, they system.
0: Have a, the new tools that they have available
1: yeah yeah okay. but it requires it requires um again where we started for for the development organization to have a very clear line of sight to what are the goals of the business yeah and to be able to build a system that delivers against those goals because if it's sitting over here saying Leave me alone, don't give me dates, don't need put, put put any pressure on me, don't ever change it. Like like whatever. Yeah. And then give, give more like the, business, <laughs> yeah. the business is like, look, guys, you have to grow up. I have a, I have a business to run over here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, that 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 has to be bridged. Like, it's like somebody's got to realize we're running a company at some point that has to be profitable. And I think the that there's the a lot of companies like?
0: that need that, need to figure out they have to run. A for company. for sure, right?
1: Yeah um but you know man it's, it's it's tough work right and that's why we have a that's why we have a company
0: so this was great so i just, yeah. just kind of to, to circle back and tie it all together everything that we've yeah. talked about is about at whatever level whatever of the organization you're at you have to understand the business goals you have to understand what problems you're trying to solve and then how the things you want to do are going to solve them and then how to communicate that with other people
1: for sure okay. you know one of the things that i think and probably people come to your class are um in this boat is you know, sometimes, like sometimes I'll do an experiment. I love doing this with user groups, especially if I'm kind of coming in hot, maybe not as prepared or not doing a talk or whatever. Right. And I'll say, like, OK, cool. So let's say, let's say you're king for a day. You walk in and you can, uh, with a wave of your hand, everybody's on board. Everybody wants to do agile. Everybody right. is um, committed to spending the money, making whatever changes that are necessary, um, doing whatever's, whatever it takes to achieve the goals of agility. You have total carp No cultural issues. No management. No buy-in. No whatever. Um, only caveat is is that you have to have a um, a company that can produce um, a deliverable every two weeks within three to six months. Okay. What's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you go do?
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't know.
1: Yeah, most people don't know, right? <laughs> so what they do is they say, "Well, let's send them to the training."
0: Yeah. Well, we know that actually, that's what they that's should do. They should, should all send, them to, send them to training.
1: Well, you know, I don't mind them sending people to training, right? But the but the the problem I have, and I'm on record saying this, and I say this as a, a guy who runs a, an agile transformation consultancy who has Dave Pryor, our CST on staff, and we do really? agile training, right? And so send people to training classes, right? I think ours is as good or better than than most anybody's. Mm-hmm. But it's not the enough. problem with that training is like let's say you. Um, you uh, you uh, go and you do the training and you learn how to do Scrum and but you have a traditionally siloed, uh, functionally oriented waterfall organization that's governed by a PMO. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do with that training? Is it gonna is it gonna deliver against the goal of in three to six months? I have to have the ability to produce software and market every two weeks. Right. Yeah. I think people I think people use leadership and culture. And mindset and all these things as a boogeyman to not have the answer. Well so what I've generally found is if you connect the value, yeah, and you you connect to the value and you can clearly articulate how the change what the changes you're gonna make are going to impact the ability to be more predictable, deliver with high quality, whatever. Yeah. Right. If your answer is send people to training and everybody will self-organize, like I know there's a lot of people who are gonna disagree with me on that. I don't see it. In any non-trivial environment. Yeah. So sure. If you're a small dev shop, 30 or 40 people, probably okay. You could probably pull it off. Yeah. Large scale systems development, teams of teams, thousands of people, not gonna happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: just too too much technical debt, too much poor architecture, too much poor organizational design. So so so, so assume you have leadership buy-in assume that everybody's willing to spend the money and do whatever you ask them to do. Right. But you are on the hook in three months for having a functioning organization. Yeah. What would you go do?
0: I feel like it's almost like, cause we haven't talked about food yet. So I'm going to do that now. Um, <laughs> okay. We sent somebody off to a seminar to learn how to eat clean or eat healthier or, okay. or whatever, but everything in their cupboard is still processed food. And we didn't teach them how to go buy healthy food.
1: Well, I would suggest it's, 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 I'll, will take it one degree. Like, so, so if you, if you understand that I need to eat healthy yeah, and you come back and your entire family infrastructure is set up around meals,
0: Macaron right? And, right. Cheese, and I'm not yeah. saying
1: that's a bad thing, right? There's a lot of family cultures that are set up around meals. And then you come back with your new eating habits, but everything in your ecosystem is just pulling you in, pulling you to the dinner table to eat unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's a, that's a lot to overcome. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. It's not that you can't do it, but it's a lot to overcome.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and so, and so uh, what, and you know, as somebody who's, who's struggled with this, like you have to change your, you have to change your environment. Like mm-hmm. you have to change where you eat, how you eat, who you eat with, not only what you eat and when you eat and the macro and, and, yeah. and all those different things. Right. So, so yeah. So you have to, and yeah, so that's the thing that I, I think is hard, right, is is I don't think most people have the answer for what you would go do. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly what we've built over the last 12 years is a methodology that answers the question. OK, Mike, you know, I remember one time really early on, we tried to sell our first maybe our second or third uh, six figure deal to somebody. And this one CTO asked me, he goes, how will I know you've been here when you're gone? I thought, that's a really good question, right? It's a really yeah. good question. I think about it a lot, right? It's probably one of the best Did questions. you carve I've ever your name asked. into the desk? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, right? Or, you know, another question might be is if if I agree to spend this money with you, what is your plan for spending it? Like, yeah. what it, what are going to be our milestones? Like, how are we going to know you're successful? You know, one of the topics I know, This we don't have time to go into this, but you get asked about metrics a lot. And so, like, you have lots of different kinds of metrics. You have to be able to measure... Um, are you are you doing the things in the plan that you agreed to do in the plan? Like, so are you running the training classes and making the organizational changes and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And then are the people in the new system, are they performing with the right um, characteristics and attributes? Like, are we stabilizing velocity? Are we getting stable throughput? Are we collaborating? Right. All those different mm-hmm. things. And then there's like a third layer that's like, are we actually getting the business results that we want? Yeah. And so, and so like progress to plan tends to become a leading indicator of performance improvements and performance improvements tend to be a leading indicator of market improvements and the actual improvement of the business. And so, so the ability to connect a value, the ability to articulate a plausible roadmap for how you're actually going to make the changes and then the ability to measure the efficacy of the changes you're making in real time. You know, because I think what happens a lot is we don't understand what the value is. We just send a bunch of people to training and we hope that it's going to (laughs) work. And we have no leading indicators or lagging indicators that tell us whether it actually worked or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nine times out of ten, you know, somebody's calling us nowadays and like, yeah, we're doing agile, but it's just not working right. And, you know, we don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do? Okay. Right? So I, and and I, training and is, is the good, hard, but it's not enough. Not enough. Well, it's, yeah, training is essential even. It's not enough. It's it's a little bit like, we, you know, I talk about this all the time. It's like, yeah, we want the culture of the organization to change. We want its practices to change. But the, the agile, agile cultural values and messages ethos is absolutely incongruent with the infrastructural barriers that are in a company yeah the practices are absolutely incongruent with the structural barriers the system barriers in the company and like my beef with um you know some of the way that sometimes scrum is taught is it's basically like just start doing scrum scrum will show your impediments the scrum master's job is to remove the impediments but um and you know we'll go from there but but you walk into these large organizations and the the impediments are so structurally entrenched yeah like literally the team can't fully architected mainframe systems. Yeah. Like, like how does a scrum master remove that impediment?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. They yeah. don't be their yeah. ability. They don't, yeah.
1: they don't. Right. So what they yeah. do is they, they change scrum to accommodate the environment. And, and whenever you change scrum to accommodate the environment, you will always fail. Yeah. If you can create the conditions that scrum was designed to operate in, scrum will always work. It's like the Ken Schwaber quote that was like, you know, 70% of the people that try to adopt Scrum won't get the value out of it they expect. I think he also said at one point in time, and I'm just paraphrasing, that Scrum's like chess. It's inarguable. You don't, nobody asks whether chess works or not. You right. play by the rules and you either win or lose, but it's like chess works.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and my add to that is, yeah, chess works if you have the right pieces and you have the right board <laughs> set up and, yeah. and everybody's playing by the same rules. Uh, chess works. But just because you have, you know, a board and a few of the pieces and nobody's playing by the rules and you call it chess, it's not chess, right? Right? So you create the conditions for chess to be played, you create the condition for scrum to be played, or you do something different. Yeah. And that's the same for every methodology. It's like you... like. Like safe was invented for a context. Less was invented for a context. Discipline agile delivery is invented for a context. Um, I guess what is uh, I'll always, the flex model, right? What PMI is mm-hmm. uh, trying to do. It was all built for a context. And in that context, it likely worked pretty well. And the big disconnect in market and what I see is we adopt the practices the mindset, but we don't set up the board right. Right. And so we're going through the motions or we're using the pieces or playing by the rules, but we're not actually playing the game.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You're trying to and play. And so we have to get the board checkers using chess really. pieces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Something uh, like that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. This was good. Thank you. So
1: yeah. yeah, welcome. Do you have time for the weird question? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Weird right. question. I always look forward to the weird question.
0: So this is going to be a little bit of a wind up, but I follow this, oh, this nice. guitar maker, Matt Ike. He's got a company okay. called me. And he posted a thing the other day where he had made up this melody on his guitar and, Put a post about about his creative practice of playing in the morning and creating things like this and and recording it right a lot of people have things like that that they do to make sure that the creative muscle in their head is maintained it would be the same as working out so for this guy it's recording music Um, other people might be writing and i'm just wondering for you i mean we've talked a lot about your physical practices your health stuff and all that but from a creative standpoint is there something that you do that is like a maintenance thing for creativity or a practice.
1: Okay. So I told you when you told me you're going to ask this question, I think there's a risk that we might go in a weird direction here, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to answer the question as completely as I can. Um, so so I'm creative to a point in that regard. Um, so I play my guitar every day, but I don't think of it as a way of exercising your creative muscle. Okay. I read every day. I write. Journal every day, right? Um, kind of like um, kind of free association journaling and things like that. Okay. Um, the it's so like that's one aspect of it. Probably the second aspect of it is, and, and I've gotten really really clear on this over the last couple <laughs> years. Um, I tend to be wired to create in response to conflict. Okay. And so, and so, um, in the early days, a lot of my synthesis of agile and the agile community was from being on clients, in clients, solving client problems, and you know, candidly, maybe being frustrated or mm-hmm. you know, couldn't get somebody to see an idea that I wanted to, so I would write it.
0: Like necessity is the blog. mother of invention.
1: Yeah, something like that. Um, You know, a little bit of a proxy for that is getting getting in front of people and doing sales calls and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. traveling and being in rooms with groups of people who are skeptics and trying to get them influenced. That gets my creative juices flowing. Um, quite a bit. Um, You know, arguing, you know, with our team, you know, some, some people as outsiders might think that like my leadership's dysfunctional and and, and sometimes it is right. It's a, it's a, it's a team like any other team, but um, some of our best work comes from being in conflict and really wrestling down the hard ideas. So I would suggest my creativity comes more from like being in the crucible with other smart people and like hashing things out.
0: So what's interesting about about this is like you use the word hunting a lot. Like what are we hunting? And it sounds like the spark for you, there has to be that dissonance. There has to be like a problem to solve or or a thing we have to fix or I need to eat or whatever. And that's where where it's – A little bit.
1: I would say even when I'm like the most creative as a guitar player is if I'm getting ready to perform or something. You Mm -hmm. know. Um, cause then that's like, you know, you got to get on stage and you got to do, you got to do it really well. Yeah. Um, so, but you, you know, the stakes to, has to I, be I, high for you I have to be there. Yeah. There has to be a sense of urgency a lot of times. Okay. And, and that's kind of a weird thing. It's almost like, it's almost like what's under, up underneath procrastination is like, it's like, I'm not really a procrastinator. Like I'll do things like a lot of times I'm really ahead of things, mm-hmm. but, but sometimes to get my best work, like I need to be under the gun. A little bit Mm -hmm. and then like you said um, necessity is mother of invention and so things like the
0: jiu-jitsu practice that is something you have a form you have to go through and a ritual you go through in your practice to maintain the ability to have those tools when you need them
1: well with jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu is a different it was a really a different thing for me right what what i was kind of um hunting around for during those times with jiu-jitsu and skiing over the last couple years is I was learning, I was learning about myself more and I was pushing my limits and getting myself out of my comfort zone a little bit, like by design, like you learn, like you learn things, um, from jujitsu that like, I never learned growing up. Like I wasn't a big sports guy growing up. So like, like, um, you walk into the gym and you have a pit in your stomach and you're nervous and, and when you're nervous, when you're not centered, um, you're not as good a player. Yeah. And so like a big difference between like a high level white belt and a blue belt is, are you safe to roll with? Can you control your emotions and your anxiety? And, okay. and like, that was a big thing to overcome. Um, with skiing, it was really about, there's an interesting thing in skiing where um, you're actually like, if, if you're a new skier, you're hesitant, your, your tendency is to want to lean backwards mm-hmm. and like fight the mountain. Right. So if you fall, you want your feet to go up underneath you and you want to fall on your butt. Right. That's right. kind of like like the mentality. But you're actually unstable and safe unsafe when you're leaning back. Right. You actually go faster in more control and and safe more safely if you're leaning down the mountain.
0: Okay.
1: Right. And there's just a there's a really powerful metaphor for life in that is we think that sometimes that um, playing it safe and being conservative is the way to win, and yeah. it's not always the way to win.
0: And we don't now, always know when we're being resistant either. For for sure, right? It's so
1: so like so. I've taken that skiing lesson and really applied it in my life. And I'll think about okay, where am I leaning backwards and playing it safe? So if I fall, I don't fall too hard. Yeah. Versus leaning down the mountain where I'm actually in more control and more safe and able to go faster. Yeah. Now, if I crash, I might I might very well crash, and and maybe it's worse, but it's actually less likely that I'm going to crash if I if I ski okay. properly. Um, which actually ties. I'm, I'm glad I had this conversation because actually me ties too. into something that I've been thinking about um, quite a lot lately, with the idea of um, you know being free to create. So yeah. so your buddy, the guitar player, was talking about you know exercising the creative muscles. For me. Um, if you're going to truly create, um, if you're going to truly do jiu-jitsu or you're going to truly ski, yeah. like like I think it's hard to create from a place where you feel like you're going to fail. And yeah. and yeah, what I've found is that. is as we have, you know, as we've grown as a company. And, you know, we have a brand presence and people know who we are and all those kinds of things. Sometimes it's harder to get on a call like this and just riff Mm -hmm. and just explore new ideas and and to put things out that, that could be wrong. Right. Because, you know, you have 160 people and you're doing all this revenue and you have all these clients. And if you say something stupid, like maybe you get fired. Yeah. Right. But but the early days of of thought leadership and and me developing a point of view is all about just putting ideas out and just like letting Singular feedback sticks. come wherever yeah you know so you ask yourself you know i've been really doing a lot of soul searching over the last 6 months since you know kimmy's been well and covid's winding down as we as we kind of get our legs back up underneath us from all that you kind of ask yourself it's like where am i leaning backwards like where am i not calm like where do i need to be um, where, where do i need to be listening. more aggressive in market
0: yeah
1: less less fear of failure kind of a thing
0: yeah
1: yeah Yeah. so this is so i think i think fear of failure is probably the greatest inhibitor to um creativity okay so so maybe the answer to your question and i don't think i'm perfect at this but put yourself in more vulnerable positions where um you risk fear of failure
0: Uh uh-huh
1: um you know i think that probably ties in conflict yeah you know um Mother, you know, invention, uh, you know, necessity and mothered invention, something like that.
0: So it's it's really interesting to me because I know for me, like I have to take time to be creative. Like I have to reserve time to do that, to take my guitar and make stuff up out of scratch. And I don't need, I think the pressures that you talked about, that would, that would make me not be able to do it. The things that drive you are completely different than the things that drive me. I don't need that urgency. I need the opposite of that.
1: Yeah, I can Um, see that. And there's, and there's some truth to that for me too. Like when I, I realized, um, when I started getting healthy, that it wasn't so much that I didn't like to work out. I didn't like to work out when I was under pressure to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, like I will tell you, um, you know, this has been an interesting year for leading agile as a company and there's been a lot of pressures. And when I'm under pressure, like I definitely find like my desire to play guitar or roll jujitsu or blog or even get out and talk to people can be compromised, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? And so it's like you have to recognize that some level of pressure is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, Attention. some level of urgency, there's a tension, right? Yeah. yeah, there's a tension between space and peace and being unafraid and urgency and criticality at the same time. So there's a dance. And that's been kind of a, you know, we can talk about on our next podcast, but that's been kind of something I've been exploring a lot lately is the idea of duality, things that are, um, you know, two things simultaneously, apparently yeah. at odds, but coexisting. Like, that's an interesting idea. Like, this has been one of the hardest years professionally, but the best year in terms of, like, personal growth and development. Like, wow. and there have been times when I'm sitting in, like, simultaneously in suck and ecstasy at the same time. <laughs> it's it's it mind-blowing
0: that's a good right, it's mind-blowing all right
1: there's a the duality right there's a yeah, duality yeah. there right so that's part of what we're hunting around a little cool. bit on. all right well yeah, thanks cool. man this was really great yeah you got it thanks for having me man